episode four, episode four of The Passive Hang. Thanks so much for joining me again. And today, I've got a real treat for you guys. I connect with Amy Kate Bowe, who is a women's coach operating out of Vancouver, Canada. And she runs a program which is called the Embodied Warrior Woman. And if I can think of anybody who is actually a warrior woman, it's probably Amy. Amy and I first met online in a group that we were both taking part in. It was called the Access Potential Academy. Had a lot of fun with that. And I really enjoyed seeing Amy create this new program of hers, which was centered around energy and awareness, especially for female-specific training and hormonal health. And this is really an area that being as a male is is completely something that I was unaware of and she's really helped me understand a lot more about the differences that I've never really had to to face and given me a lot more appreciation for for female specific training in general as well so we cover a lot of stuff with this one Amy generously shares her backstory leading up to the events of what motivated her to to start creating programs such as this one we talk a lot about female health but there's a lot of applicability here to if you're a male as well just generally about uh, i guess uh, bringing more awareness to your practice especially around with energy and how to adapt to that so this is episode four of the passive hang here we go (laughs) so yeah welcome uh (laughs) Uh, we'll just kick this uh, this little chat off, I, I guess. Um, uh, the way I like to start things is, yeah, I, I guess do a little intro, you know, Amy Kate Bo. Um, we met for the first time last year through doing a program together. And I remember we always got together digitally, like every month on, on Zoom calls I remember, I think I first saw you and I was like, who, who is this chick? She's over in Canada. Like how, how did she get connected? Like the rest of us were all, all over in Australia. It was kind of like this semi sort of mystery, right? I was like always scratching my head, but then I would look at some of your updates and what you're pushing out. And it was like really deep work. I think like with like the submissions that you're going through, you really put in like a lot of thought and then yeah, then I saw some of like your your like physical work as well, like your body weight strength, and I was like, I think this is like one of the strongest women I've ever seen as well. This, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> one of the first things I think I saw you was when you were like half climbing on the on the wall or just using the wall as a play tool, and I was like, I think I I think I can do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> go try that, and then I was like trying it. And I was like, this is really really hard. <laughs> I did that again today, actually, for my warm-up. I was climbing up the wall. <laughs> um, but no, thank you. Uh, I, um, I have spent a long time always uh, as strong and resilient as I am now. But we can get into that if you want, and I can go into my story. Uh, is that where you would like to start? Yeah, yeah, I guess um, just I like kicking it off, just give a brief intro into like, you know, who you are, what you're about, and then we can go from there. Yeah, okay. So I am, well, I'm super fortunate, as you mentioned, to 
be living here in Vancouver and I work between Australia and Vancouver. I am Australian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> People aren't quite sure anymore because there is an eclectic mix of accents. <laughs> mm. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I am Australian, but I am living in Vancouver. Uh, oh, where can I go in my story? <laughs> okay. I come from a gymnastics and dancing background. So I have moved since I was three years old. Uh, and I did gymnastics uh, since I was three. Uh, competitively for a really long time. Uh, and I was good at it. Really good. But then we moved from... So I was born in Canberra in Australia. And my primary school even had their own gymnasium there. Mm. And so I was on their team. Uh, and then just as we were about to leave, my mum got a job uh, up on the far north coast, just south mm. of Byron Bay, when I was 10. Uh, and just as I was about to leave, I was doing trials for the AIS. So mm. that's the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, but I do remember the day that I was there, my dad was sitting like up in the grandstand and I was like terrified. I remember walking over to him and just crying, just being like, I don't think I belong here. <laughs> um, but that was an intense couple of days doing trials. And then we moved uh, to a small country town and they didn't really have a strong gymnastics uh, history or background or program there. Uh, so unfortunately, I quit and then I started to dance. And I danced all throughout primary school and high school. Um, and I played competitive field hockey. So that is like uh. my movement background uh, or my training background. I've been in gym since I was about 14 years old. Uh, so I've always been moving my body or I've been around people that have been moving their body. Um, and then I finished high school and my sister suffered anorexia and she was sick for quite a long time. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. Um, there was two directions, like two passions, this physical, uh, like exercise science-y passion, but then also I did drama and performing arts through high school. And so I applied to do um, a Bachelor of Performing Arts. So I got into it, but then my sister got sick. And while she was sick, I decided that I wanted to become a dietitian and specialize in eating disorders. So I did that. I did a Bachelor of Exercise Science and Nutrition. Uh, and then I moved to Melbourne in 2009 to do my master's in dietetics. Uh, so I got into Deakin University in Melbourne uh, and did my master's in dietetics. And then I found uh, all mentors within the eating disorder space to start learning from and working under. And then I went into private practice and worked mostly with uh, women who had eating disorders uh, or disordered eating. But about a year into that, um, which was hard work uh, and very hard emotionally, I think from just from my sister and mm. like this, our story. Uh, and then I remember this point of being in private practice thinking, Oh my God, like I hate it. Like I don't like it. Uh, like it's exhausting. 
it's very hard work. It's too close to home. But I spent all this time like studying and working to get to this point. Uh, and it took me, I was lost for about a year, like deciding what I should do. Um, and then eventually I decided that I'd leave uh, private practice and stop being a dietitian that worked in eating disorders. And I found work with the Butterfly Foundation. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's no, I haven't. In Melbourne. Yeah, okay. it's in Melbourne. It's a non-for-profit. And they work with uh, schools um, and parents on working around this whole concept of self-esteem and body image and eating disorders in schools. Mm-hmm. So I, went on, uh, I came on board with them and went into school schools and did presentations and workshops on body image and self-esteem and eating disorders. And that was awesome work, super fun, super engaging, uh, a lot of preventative stuff coming from a real positive place, which I really liked. Uh, and then I kind of found myself wandering back into the training space. So I'd been training people since I finished my undergrad degree in mm-hmm. 2009. Uh, And then kind of got pulled back into that world. And that was really from my own story about my training and my body. Mm. So I guess the story that I kind of told was like my work story. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been coaching and teaching for 12 years now. Um, And then my interest back into the training or movement space happened when I was doing my master's. I had a chronic like lower back issue that would just come on um, every so often. Uh, But I remember one day it was so bad that I couldn't even get up off the floor. Mm. I was just in so much pain. And I was referred to a trainer who specialized in like pain and rehabilitation, but was one of the most unconventional inspiring, um, dedicated, eccentric people I've ever met. Um, and that's, his name is Jules. Uh, and I started working with Jules in 2014. And that was the point where I was weak and I was broken. I had gone through a really bad relationship breakdown. Uh, I was doing my master's. Mm. I had back pain. From all the stress, I developed a hormonal imbalance. I got shingles. I got a really bad virus. <laughs> it was a really shitty year. <laughs> Sounds like the worst point yeah, ever. So yeah, this was like, yeah, 2013. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I found Jules in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spent a year rehabbing my spine basically our only goal was to have a strong healthy spine Mm -hmm. and so i saw him once a week and then i would do my homework every day uh and it was probably one of the most challenging and hard things i've ever done in my life for that year Mm -hmm. just to feel so broken and so disconnected especially coming from like a very athletic background Mm -hmm. uh to I guess that whole year was me developing into what I would now call this like embodied warrior woman. (laughs) Wow. There's there's a lot to unpack there. I think like, sorry, that was a really long spiel. (laughs) It's it's good though. (laughs) Um, 
uh, yeah, I want to go through like each 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 of the bits, um, especially okay. uh, afterwards with the um, embodied warrior woman. Um, yeah, but I guess one thing that cuts through with me is like this this drive that you have with like some of your choices. Um, you know, you you got motivated from I guess personally from your sister, and then you entered in and, and did the work in dietetics and, and nutrition um then you had like severe back pain uh, and then you had the discipline to work on that like every day as well like do you do you think that that side of yourself sort of comes from earlier age when you were competing in gymnastics like earlier earlier on like maybe do you just want to riff on a bit of yeah i guess your that those personality traits, because sometimes when these things happen to people, you might say it's, um, it might come in a quite negative way and then they, you don't end up doing the work or making the change, but there's, there seems to be like this recurring theme in your life when you face adversity that you really face it head on and take it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eventually not without a little bit of a resistance <laughs> in the first place, but uh, I guess I'm super lucky to have very supportive parents that always just said, you know, you do what makes you happy. Uh, and I learned really good work ethic from them. Uh, they're both very focused and disciplined people. Um, Was it your choice then, to, to do the gymnastics when you were really young? Or? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I'd have to ask my mom if it was my choice. Uh, but like my training then, and I was only like six, seven, eight, nine years old was four, four days a week for a couple of hours. It was a lot. And I guess I, I loved it. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, and I think a big part of it comes from that. Like if you come from an athletic background mm. where, you know, you need to show up, you need to do the work. And this is kind of where I learned, um, this whole idea of like hard work or progressing to get somewhere because mm. at that young age, you're taught like right from foundational stuff. And then that's when you start building, you build, you know, your body awareness and then you start to look at building some strength and some balance and some coordination. And I feel, I think gymnastics is so powerful. It's such an amazing sport um, to teach not just young children, but humans of all age, so much about their body. So I guess that's where I got a lot of body awareness from and probably a lot of discipline because mm. to be good at something, you have to become a specialist at it. You have to work hard um, and do the work. And were you in like competitions like every, every weekend in, in that sport as well? Yeah, I competed. Uh, not a lot because we were still young. I think I stopped doing it when I was 10. So we were only just starting to get heavily into like competitions, but mm. through dance, I competed. Uh, I, w I competed in hockey. Uh, I was on like a grade, which is like, you know, the, the good team or the best team or whatever. Yeah. So it was always like striving to do like the best that I could. Uh, and then eventually we can get to this, but I found Olympic weightlifting and I competed in Olympic weightlifting uh, and I specialized in that. But 
I think when you become a specialist, sometimes it can be at the detriment to your health or other areas of your life. Um, And that's definitely what happened with weightlifting. But yeah. Yeah, Yeah. my drive. Yeah, I'm going to say my drive comes from my parents and Mm -hmm. from doing sport at such a young age and being taught to to do the hard work. Uh, It's not always easy, but if you keep showing up, uh, you, you progress. Yeah, I guess I draw a lot of parallels to my own childhood as well, because when I was growing up, I swam from a very young age. So before I can even remember, I think my pool, uh, my mum dropped me in a pool probably from (laughs) when I was like three months old. And then I remember I was in competitions from, yeah, like four four or five, something like really, really young. Um, and that was, that was my childhood up until like 18 years old. And it was like every weekend, like training, then competing. And I think that does something to, to you. Definitely just that, as you mentioned that, that showing up all the time, but then having this other, other motivator to show up as well, because you sort of get validated a little bit, uh, when you compete with others. And I think at such a young age as well, you know, that sort of gives you that sense of place in the world. You're like, Oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm this sort of person and I, I can get this sort of result. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I, I played hockey as well, as well, but I found that a little bit at an, um, at a later oh, age. You- yeah. At a university. And I remember yeah. It was such a fun oh, sport, cool. especially coming <laughs> coming from swimming, because in the pool I was always, you know, so alone. I was in my head <laughs> staring at that line all the time. You know, I, I loved it at, at the time, but uh, I remember I, I needed to just walk away from it after a, after school because I just done so much of it. And hockey was really my first experiences in playing with a team. My mind was blown. I was like, oh, you can can talk with people you can collaborate you can you can just hang out is it's amazing you don't have to do all of the work there's a whole team there to take the load yeah yeah again and then it's super powerful i think team spots uh because gymnastics and dancing can be very you know and swimming just very solo uh but Mm -hmm. then you have something like a team spot and that teaches you other soft skills, you know, communication, collaboration, listening, receiving feedback, you know. So, yeah, I think sport is, is very powerful mm-hmm. in teaching you those, those skills. So you mentioned a, a little bit before about how, like, maybe this uh, point of specialization can, can turn on you a little bit. Um, maybe do you want to expand a little bit on that? Is that what led to your, your injury or, um, or some other points which caused you to reconsider what you were doing? Yeah, my initial injury, uh, no, it wasn't a specialization uh, injury. It was mostly just from like stress and I was running a lot. Uh, I had a few biomechanical, you know, things going on. Um, and then, uh, so with my work with Jules, we developed a ho- 
strong, healthy spine. One day he just taught me how to snatch, which is an Olympic weightlifting move. And I just had this natural ability to be able to do it. Uh, you'll find that most like gymnasts or dancers that have got very good pattern recognition and really good body awareness are quite good at Olympic lifting. Uh, and then I fell in love with it because I remember it was like one of the first times in this recovery that I actually felt strong and capable. And it was such a beautiful feeling after, you know, being, being like weak and broken and working so hard and working my ass off for a year just to not be in pain and to feel capable again. It was a great feeling. So then I fell in love with Olympic weightlifting. Uh, and I don't like to call it an obsession. I like to call it a fascination, <laughs> a very heavily weighted fascination with it's a good, it. Good way to frame it. <laughs> um, and then all of my training revolved around that. So I would train three or four hours a day, six to seven days a week, uh, pretty much all Olympic lifting and then the accessory work to go along with that. Um, and for a couple of years, it was good. Like a couple of things came up in my body just because of the load, mm -hmm. but Jules and I worked through it. Uh, and then we started a really big mobility and movement practice. Mm. This was around the, around the time that Edo started to really flourish in, I guess, like the training or the fitness space mm -hmm. and open up this idea of like movement. Mm. And so Jules um, had been following Edo for quite a long time and done uh, – you know, a lot of his uh, workshops and had gone on to his movement camp. And so yep. what he did was start to introduce this movement stuff into my training programs. Mm. Uh, so we were looking, making sure we're still looking after the spine. We're moving in different ways because Olympic lifting is very up and down. It's like one plane, one direction, one load. And so all of my warm-ups and my accessory work became all this you know, weird movement stuff, which <laughs> kind of is very similar to contemporary dancing. Yeah. Um, so that's how I looked after my body. But then I kept on feeling, this was years, you know, I'd competed and I was still training hard, but I kept on feeling tired. Uh, I couldn't recover well. Uh, my, in, like I get it like niggles in my body. Um, and, and at this and point, were you still like training like quite hard every day, like the and like yep. three, four hours yeah. per day? Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, this was a couple of years into finding Olympic weightlifting. It's a really strong program. Uh, and I have always been very good at what our dear friend John Marsh calls energy generation. So for those listening, it's like, how good are you at bringing things in that give you energy? So I'd always been very good at eating really well, sleeping, looking after my body, getting a lot of sunshine, but something in my training didn't feel quite right. So, so, so those I, concepts, I didn't really understand. those concepts around energy generation, you, you were already really aware of that from, like yeah all this training yeah from Jules so Jules mm -hmm. taught me so much uh so much <laughs> so much about my body and about energy and he really shook a lot of my beliefs that I had mm -hmm. you know as like a young female around yep. 
you know, training and food and uh, the beliefs that we hold around that. Uh, he's very unconventional. So he shook a lot of those uh, and knocked a lot of that conditioning out of me. <laughs> uh, and so that's where I learned to become very good at generating energy. And I guess when you're training a lot, my only focus after being broken was to make sure I never felt like that again. So that's why I call it like a, an obsession or a fascination because my sole focus in my life was to make sure that I was strong, I was capable, I felt well, and I felt healthy because of feeling so crappy for a couple of years. So I became very good energy generator. Yeah. And then something wasn't quite right in my training. This is a couple of years in. I was doing all those things that, that were, you know, meant to be good for, for, you know, my training. And then I got injured uh, badly. I dislocated my rib, my fourth rib. Uh, the head of my rib just popped out. How did that happen? There. I did it in a clean, uh, but it had been a niggling injury for months. So every time I did a jerk, I used to do really heavy jerks and like lower it back down onto my uh, front rack and then put it back into the rack mm -hmm. uh, instead of we didn't have jerk blocks. So that repeated repetitive load of the bar falling down just over time uh, made like I guess my thoracic spine and my rib cage like a little bit angry. And then one night yep. we were in barbell club and I did a clean and I caught the clean and it just went pop. Oh, <laughs> uh, sounds so nasty. <laughs> yeah, it was very unpleasant. I was on the floor. I could hardly breathe properly. Um, it brought back a lot of memories of being on the floor with my back. Mm. <laughs> so so you'd, done yeah. all, you'd done all this work and I guess it must have been really frustrating, right? Because... Uh, from what it sounds like, it feels like, you know, when you started working with Jules, this was like your light bulb moments where you're like, ah, oh, this is the way I'm going to heal myself. I'm going to heal my spine. But then after doing all this, this like your rib pops out and <laughs> you're back, <laughs> back in the same place, right? <laughs> yeah. So I didn't take that very well. <laughs> um, I was in a bit of a dark place for quite a few months. Uh, I could barely move really and breathe properly, let alone train at all. Uh, so I was in quite a lot of pain for quite a while. If anyone's ever done a rib, it's quite painful. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I realized that I was so attached to Olympic lifting. Uh, I was attached to me being this strong girl this Olympic weightlifter. And when I couldn't do that, I didn't really know who I was because I had spent years uh, making sure that she wasn't a weak, broken girl, that she was now like a strong athlete. I guess, uh, I guess you found, yeah, Olympic weightlifting at the end of when, when you were trying to really heal your back, right? And then that validated, like, it was like this change, right, that you stepped into because you're like, ah. Oh, you know, I was broken, but then if I lift this, it means that I'm not broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can see it must've been yeah. really confronting when then the thing that validates you turns on you and then brings you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> brings you to the breaking point. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, 
I st- actually walked away from lifting. I stopped mm-hmm. lifting. Uh, well, mostly because I couldn't at the start. So I had to go back just doing a movement practice. So all of my work uh, with Jules and myself was just around again, uh, you know, developing this, this healthy spine and recovering from the injury and learning more about the body. Uh, um, and at that time, I didn't understand this concept of impermanence. Like I thought it was just going to be like this forever. <laughs> like I'm never going to be able to lift as well again or as heavy again. Like I felt kind of like I was in my peak. Um, and then this happened. But so I stepped away uh, and then I actually moved away. So this was just before I moved to Canada. Okay. So and how then, this was about like three or so years ago? Yeah, this will be probably three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Since like I've really properly touched a barbell. Yeah. So this was, you, uh, you were still based in Melbourne, then th- this all happened. Um, and then you decided to move to, to Canada or? Yeah, not because that happened, but <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't want to run away from it that much. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that happened. And I spent like six months again, just recovering from the injury, learning from it, uh, kind of thinking, okay, so that thoracic spine, that rib cage is my weakest point. Still, I'm having trouble with it. So let's like focus on it again. So that was my work. Uh, and then I obviously got back into strength training. I played with the barbell a little bit. I still went to barbell club and uh, and then I, yeah, I decided that I would move to Canada, uh, and I've been here for three years. Um, and I haven't really touched a bar since then. I have played with it a little bit just to explore mm-hmm. my relationship to it, uh, and see if I'm coming from this like place of love and abundance and just, you know, playful and having fun or, mm-hmm if it was going to be again from this place of like fear and scarcity and about the outcome or the weight on the bar or, uh, you know, the number that I'm lifting. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's what I'm really mindful with my training now. Yep. And I guess that kind of leads into the work that I do now. Yeah. I guess it's sometimes like the dark side of, um, <laughs> pro- progression or competition, right? Like you can, um, you can really measure so accurately, like kind of yourself when you see like, Oh, I got like a hundred kilos on the bar. That's like who I am. Right. Um, cause I've definitely fallen into those traps before. And, uh, I guess your body is, is always such a changing dynamic thing. Right. And sometimes when you end up in places where you feel like unstoppable and you do these amazing lifts, then your expectation is reframed to always be like, ah, oh, I should always be hitting that like all the time. If I'm, if I'm not, if I'm not there, then what am I like? This is a bad day almost. Like it's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. Yeah. Not even a bad day. It's just like, I'm bad. I'm a bad lifter or I'm, you know, it's comes back to you because I really based my self-worth on the bar and how well I lifted. Um, (laughs) 
Which so is da- like it's dangerous. And I think that comes back to your question about this specialist versus generalist. And I believe there's so much power in being a specialist because this is where you learn. You learn about your body. You learn about processes, the methods. You learn about hard work. You know, you learn about the, the sport or the skill, whatever you're trying to do and specialize in. But I f- you can't do that forever. And you can't only do that because it's just at the detriment to mostly mm. your body, your health. It's, it's hard. Uh, so coming back to this whole generalist and like, you know, playing with lots of different things. And, you know, like you said, it's impermanent. What do I need to work on right now and working on that? And then maybe, yeah, just going down lots of other paths. It's almost like doing the specialist thing for, X amount of time, but with a sort of generalist perspective in going, that's not all that matters. You know, I can pull back. I'm not defined by that. I'm doing this to, to learn in, in this field because I agree with you as well. You kind of need to jump into something head on for, for a while to get a good understanding, but then not to be completely consumed by it because then maybe it can lead to events such as, such as this, right? And then if that <laughs> for whatever reason, and sometimes it's out of your control and you know, maybe it's an injury or something like that happens, then you feel like you've got nothing. You're like, oh, what, what am I going to do now? Like, that's it. It's, go- it's gone. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. so you, you mentioned this, this has led you to the work that you're, that you're doing now. So yeah, wh- what is that? Yeah, so like a one-liner, I teach women uh, how to finally get results in their training through understanding their cycle. So I guess coming back to this whole piece around like I felt something was missing uh, in my training or in like, you know, in my energy generation and I didn't quite know what it was. When I was injured, I had a lot of time to think about it. Like, mm-hmm. what was missing? Why, why didn't I feel quite right? And I remember I came across some work by Claire Baker. She's an Australian also, and she does a lot of the stuff with the cycle uh, and uses the seasons as an, a- an analogy for our menstrual cycle. So I watched a webinar uh, of hers and I thought, oh my God. I actually don't know anything about my cycle. Mm. Like here I am like, you know, 28 years old, uh, you know, female, ath- like athletic, a coach, you know, who's done a Bachelor of Exercise Science <laughs> and a Master's in Dietetics. And mm. I actually never paid attention to my cycle. Yeah, I wanted and to so- ask you about this because like – you've actually done like formal qualifications. You've also like jumped into it deep, like coaches and like, you know, been to movement camps, that sort of thing. Uh, Was this just never mentioned in any of it or were you just, I guess you didn't have that focus. So you didn't hear it or people are just not talking about it at all. Yeah. uh, The short answer never really mentioned. So in my undergrad and in my master's, what's mentioned is the female triad and that's got to do with female endurance athletes. Uh, Basically, they experience amenorrhea. So they no longer menstruate because of the training load, the volume 
um, of training. So that's what's mentioned is this female triad and how when they become amenorrheic, it can increase their uh, risk of osteoporosis. So that's all we really looked at. Mm. Um, and so no, all out of all my study uh, and my work with coaches, it never came up. And so then I decided that I would just write the day of my cycle in my training journal. So as I started to get back into my training and movement, I thought I'll just write it and see. Uh, and I dived heavily into the research. I read a lot about it. I researched it. Uh, there's actually not a lot of research out there around training and the cycle. A lot of it's endurance stuff mm. only now. Uh, there's a study that was done in 2017 they took, I think it was about 49 uh, strength trained females. So females that had been doing strength training and they split them in two groups. And then one group did strength training in the first half of their cycle. And then the other group did strength training in the second half of their cycle. And what they found was that the group that did the strength training in the first half of their cycle uh, got better results. And they were measuring, I think they were measuring lean muscle mass and then like a power to weight ratio. So if they increase their strength. Um, but when I was, you know, when I was doing some reading on it and I started, there actually wasn't a lot out there. There was so much about like PMS and mm. endometriosis and polycystic ovarian syndrome, but not in training. So then what I found was that I kind of found patterns like there would be, you know, days or weeks that I'd feel good and then days or weeks that I didn't. And I started to kind of see, because I wrote it in my training journal and wrote some data points, I kind of started to see, okay, so this is what I was doing my training. This is how I felt. And then from that, I started to change my training a little bit around how I kind of felt and what the science said. So that's when I really got into the menstrual cycle stuff. I love this because it um, really displays like you had to have a really high level of self-awareness as well to, you know, to, to track how you were really feeling and then put down, you know, like the, the truth, right? Sometimes when you journal uh, or when I do it as well, um, it's really hard to really put like the reality of, of, of what's happening, especially if this, uh, this sort of stuff because it, it can be really confronting, right? Like it's it's almost like oh, in this day I am feeling really crap. Like what what why is that? Um, mm. But I just find this like astounding that you know this is this seems to be such a big area as well. But like there's no from what you're saying, there's minimal research behind it. Um, people are not really aware of it. Is do you think that's changing or like why 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 has it been like that? Yeah, it's flourishing now. So the world of like periods and period health um, and talking about it in the last couple of years, it's, uh, yeah, it's birthed a lot, a lot of conversation. There's a lot of um, people in the, in the area now, a lot of really strong, you know, female, uh, either they're doctors or naturopaths or f fertility specialists that are really talking about it. Um, so it's definitely improved. There's still not a lot of research in the training aspect of it. Mm. Um, again, it's like the science is cool and it can be important to know. And this is with, with everything. And I found this with food as well. But 
a lot of this work is really like qualitative. It's like anecdotal. It's only when you've been doing it for, you know, 10, 12 years and you see like patterns, you see stories. Like I've been working with women for so long, you know, and these women are like chronic dieters and over-exercisers. They're undernourishing themselves. Their nervous system's completely stressed. And so, you know, their cycles all over the place or they don't have a cycle or they can't get the results that they want in their training. It's only over time that you really start to see all the patterns. Mm. And even though the science is not there, uh, there's so much qualitative or anecdotal research around, you know, it's really powerful when you have a healthy cycle to your Mm. training. You can see that in what the hormones are doing. And then you can also see that like, with the reports of the women that you're working with. So then I started to put it into all the work that I was doing with women. So I started to get them to track their cycle, to understand their cycle, to know what was going on. Uh, Yeah, I honestly believe that if you know your cycle, you know your body. And I thought I knew my body, but like I really didn't because I didn't even have any understanding of my cycle and my hormones and what was actually going on. Yeah, I guess it's like one of those moments where, again, it's like another light bulb and you're like, ah, (laughs) all these years I've been doing this, but this has been happening. And it's it's kind of really funny, right? Because you were like blind to it almost. But Mm. like something like this happens like, every month. (laughs) It's, it's quite, it's quite amazing. Um, I guess with, you know, the women that, 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 that you work with as well. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about the first sort of steps that you get them to, to do. What, what are some of the simple actions that you think that, you know, a lot of women out there can start implementing and doing like the, maybe like the low hanging fruit that, that they can (laughs) act on to, you know, to sort of, uh, bring about more positive change um, uh, around this? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, the way that I like to talk about it, and I kind of came up with this concept or analogy, I'm not sure how, I was just thinking about it one day and how we always just like focus on one thing, like if we're trying to do something. So say for a lot of women, it's losing weight or changing our body composition. So we're either focused really on like eating less food or training more or doing a certain type of training. And it's so much more than that. Uh, And so taking this, kind of what I've learned about, okay, so I was good at all these things, like bringing energy in, nourishing myself, you know, sleeping and, but like, I didn't understand my cycle. So I came out with this concept of the red umbrella. And if you can imagine an umbrella, uh, the shape of it, and then for, for it to have its shape, it has prongs. So things that actually hold it up. And it's these prongs that give it its shape that allow it to do its job. So if Mm. the prong's broken or it's not working right, the umbrella doesn't work right. So therefore it can't do its job. So the umbrella is your nervous system. So like the state of you. So how well you feel and how well your body functions. Now, if like one or more of those prongs isn't working right uh, for whatever reason, yeah, it can be so many reasons that it's not working right, uh, then therefore like our state is stressed. Mm. And when our state is stressed, it, it, we find it really hard to actually get the results that we want. So prongs, for example, like your food, 
uh, training, your cycle, sleep, light, your relationships, your emotional stability, any trauma that you've had, basically anything that's going to impact your nervous system. And so now when I start working with a female, I look at her umbrella. So what's her umbrella doing? What is it telling me? What prongs are broken or are not working right? And that's where I start. Because there's so many places that you could start. Mm. Uh, The few prongs uh, that I see come up over and over again that are broken and that are not working right is the food prong, Mm. the cycle prong, and the metabolism prong. Uh, and so I'll, often a lot of my work starts with uh, the food prong. Uh, so, so many women don't eat enough, often enough. Uh, and my work in that is to get them from this place of like undernourishment, which they've been doing for so long, like chronic dieting, mm-hmm. restriction, Um I believe that the food prong is probably one of the most powerful prongs in like the state of our nervous system or impacting our state. Mm. I guess this is one of the, um, the, the problems with, you know, some of the societally driven goals that is pushed onto us, right? Like, you know, for a lot of people, they just want to lose weight for, for example, look, look good and it'll, it'll be at any sort of cost, and it's only like, you know, things like the food one is an easy one to, because yeah, you can open up any magazine right now and it's recommending you all number of crazy things. But um, when you frame it under this, this concept, right, which, which I love this, this red, red umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I remember first uh, yeah seeing, seeing like um, some Instagram updates of this and it just made so much sense i think I, I, I love the visual concept um but oh good thank you thank you it's really nice to hear um it makes a lot of sense to me and mm. so i'm hoping that you know the more i talk about it uh the more that it it's like it's not one thing <laughs> it's like the whole the whole thing matters um mm. but yes we can start with one prong uh and i think often we forget like what food is for, mm. especially when we get caught up in this di- the diet industry and, uh, you know, the media and the conditioning, mm. we lose this whole. Down regulate our nervous system. So to actually manage stress, to need it, yeah, we need it to make hormones. Uh, we need it to recover, to have energy. Uh, and then it's also to support our metabolism. So, so what's a, like a, a common story that you hear when, say, women approach you and they, they tell you um, what, what's going on? Like uh, maybe go through a little bit of that and maybe about some of the communication that you have to like give, give to them to, because this is kind of almost like a reframe from maybe what they've been told from everywhere else, right? Yeah. I basically tell them the complete opposite to what they've been doing (laughs) for a really long time. (laughs) And I meet it with a lot of resistance and a lot of rumbling, (laughs) but um, eventually they listen. But uh, we're breaking down, like you said, we're breaking down a lot of conditioning, a lot of beliefs that we have. Uh, Two of the biggest beliefs, I guess, are if I eat less, I will lose weight. Or if I 
I do high intensity training and train harder and longer and more often, I'll lose weight. Mm. So mostly when I start working with women, the goal or their goal when it comes to training uh, or working out or exercise or movement, whatever you want to call it, uh, I use the word training because it's like in the middle. So to me, what resonates is movement because I believe like everything comes under movement and we need to move our bodies. But to the women that I'm working with, it's such a foreign concept. It doesn't Mm. mean anything. And so I found, I thought, you know what? Exercise is used a lot, workouts used a lot, but what about training? And so it's really just a word to describe what I would call like movement. Um, But when I start working with them, these are the beliefs that we start breaking down, Mm. which is this, if I eat less and train more, I'll lose weight. Yeah. It sounds like they, um, you know, those things are really just the vehicle for, for that out and out goal, which is like, Oh, I need to lose weight. And then if I lose weight, I don't know, maybe I, I look better then I feel better about myself, which is, um, yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've I've had that as as well. Like most most definitely. Like I guess everyone carries around, you know, these narratives in their head for especially when you're growing up and you're trying to find your place. I remember during university as well, first finding the gym, and I was just like, yeah, I got to get got to get big, got to get strong, <laughs> right? Um, but then somewhere during that process, kind of just started reframing um, training uh, and exercise, however you want to term it. To, to more of about a, a learning experience about my body. Um, but I guess for a lot of people, they, they might not hold that or that, like what you mentioned when you mentioned movement to people, like that, that doesn't mean anything to, to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I like how, I like how you say that because I think it's really, that's really important. Uh, yeah. So when I start working with them, we're breaking down the beliefs, like we're looking at the different language, uh, you know, that they, you know, the language they've been using and then the language like that I've been using. Um, but I really want to say, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot this week, is that I don't think results is a dirty word. I don't think that you shouldn't have goals that you shouldn't want to achieve a skill that you maybe want to change your body composition. Well, whether that's just to develop a stronger, more resilient body. Yeah. Or like, a, or whether if you are suffering from like PCOS, which is a lot of stuff with like insulin and hormones. And unfortunately they do gain like quite a bit of weight mm. and that if you don't, you don't believe that that's how you feel like you know, comfortable and confident and like who you are, that it's okay to want to change your body composition. And I feel like I'm, I'm not stuck, but I'm like in this place in between. So we have this, you know, the fitness world that's very focused on weight, shape and size and the number and getting the results. And then we have up the other end of the spectrum, which is this, you know, body positivity, like, mm-hmm. you know, health at every size where and I, and I, you know, I appreciate things from both because mm. they both can teach you a lot, but I find myself in the middle here. It's yeah. like, okay, so if the goal is to change your body composition or to lose weight, number one, we need to get curious about why. 
mm-hmm. because I can, I can guarantee you just from doing this for so long that when you get to X amount of weight, you won't feel happier. You won't, you know, it's not going to bring all those things that you think it will. Like the work really needs to be done before. And if you happen to change your body composition, you know, great. But like that can't be the goal. Mm. So I speak a lot about why. Like why do you train? Uh, And if your why is coming from this place, you know, that's only focused on results or only focused on the weight, then it's like from fear and scarcity and it's super stressful for the body. The umbrella doesn't like it uh, and you won't get results sustainably um, over the long term. Uh, We look at what are you training for? So coming back to this place, yes, it's super cool. If you want to, you know, achieve a certain skill, lift a certain weight, um, maybe change your body composition. Okay, we can look at that. Uh, And then we dive into the red umbrella and working on whatever first prong really needs attention. Um, Yeah, so that's something I've been thinking about, that results Mm. is not a dirty word. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that, you know. um, It's like they're not competing ideas between, you know, the results end of the spectrum and, you know, like a more, okay, I'm doing it for the learning and more awareness of of my body. Both of them have really positive points that you can, you can utilize really just to, to help people. Right. You don't need to demonize one or or, or the other or or forget about it. Uh, You know, I guess it's, it goes back to also like the language that, that other people understand, right? Like if you move too far away from that, um, because people are, are literally saying this, right? When they come to you, oh, I want X, I want, I want Y. And you need to relate back, back to that. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that you say that. That's a thing that I've been struggling for a long time. Well, in my work, especially over the last couple of years, like the work that we've done with APA and with John and trying to, you know, to uh, communicate and articulate and express it is what like what I actually do. Like I've been doing it for so long, but I could never really articulate and express it. And, but I wasn't speaking their language. Mm. I was speaking a language that I had learned, you know, in 2014 about being connected and, you know, understanding my cycle and just training for, yeah, training for, you know, the connection piece of it. Whereas all the women that come to see me, they're in this place of, focusing on the weight, fear and scarcity. Uh, They're not connected to their body. They don't trust their body. And so the work for me is, okay, well, I need to language match. So maybe I do. I have to talk about weight loss and I have to talk about body composition, things that I don't normally really want to touch on just from being in the eating disorder space and, you know, really honestly believing Mm. that it's, you know, as you are right now, like is enough. But I have to touch on those things in order to teach them about their body so they can build trust with their body so they can have a really powerful relationship with their body. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like it was kind of another light bulb moment for yourself, right? You're like, oh, I'm not talking (laughs) about this stuff. So many light bulbs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's like uh, I wasn't talking about this, but then like they're talking about it. So I, I really need to talk about it as well. It's coming from both sides. It's like, you're, you're bringing up this, these almost like deeply personal stuff, like asking questions, like why, why are you training? What are you training for? Can I talk about, you know, your, your cycle as, as well. Um, but then on the other side, you know, they want to talk about getting 
X or Y sort of result. And you're like, Oh, I don't want to talk about this. It's like, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a trade from both sides. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and that's why I said to you at the start, it's like, when we start working together, it's like a rumble. Yeah. If there's a lot of resistance, there is, because like we're shaking, you know, I'm shaking beliefs that they've had for yeah. so long. Um, and you know what it's like when you're, you're trying to move through something new or learn to, or you've been told something different, uh, mm-hmm. that it just, yeah, there's a lot of resistance there. Um, but I find it really hard like to, to come back and to talk about the weight and the shape and the size and the body composition. Um, but it's important. It's an important mm-hmm. conversation to have and one that we're not really having from this point of view. Mm-hmm. We're having it from the fitness point of view around like, hey, yeah, six weeks to this and, you know, do this diet. And But I'm going to come at it from a different angle being like, you know what? Okay. Like if you want to do it and you want to change your body composition, mm-hmm. here I can show you how. Mm. I can show you how to balance your hormones, how to, you know, have a healthy cycle, how to shift your perspective and connect to your body. But also we can show up and we can do the hard directional work. We can get results. We can lift heavier, you know, and we can change our body composition if we want to. So one thing I wanted to also cover is, I guess, um, you know, as, as a guy, how I can be mindful of, you know, this whole other spectrum that, for me, I'm, I'm, I feel like almost oblivious to, I, I don't, I don't have um, these sort of requirements. Although when I hear about concepts such as this red umbrella, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I've got my own prongs as well that I need to, to keep nourishing as well. But maybe some prongs I, I, I don't have. Um, but you know, in place of that, I might have other other ones as as well. But I guess for what would you say for uh, to, to guys? when they're dealing with, you know, like I've got a partner, you know, I deal with like sometimes guiding other women as well. What, what would you, what would you recommend? Yeah. Uh, again, really good question. Uh, first, every red umbrella is different. So your umbrella is different to mine. Mine's different to another female. And then what impacts our umbrella is really different. Uh, and yeah, we have the cycle as a prong in our umbrella. Uh, So I run a workshop, which is called Training the Female Warrior, and it's for women who train, but it's also for coaches who train women. And it it doesn't even have to be coaches. It can be any male. Yeah, we're also, Mm. you know, as males, you're surrounded by females. Uh, And as females, we're surrounded by a lot of male coaches. And so what I was seeing was that, okay, so you know, I could understand my cycle and I could know what's going on. But if I have a male coach in a training program, that's a certain way. And I don't know how to communicate it to him. Mm. Well, then there's no point. It's like, we can know the information, but you know, then can we use it or could we talk about it? So I call it the art of talking about it. uh, And it's really around learning how to talk about cycle Hmm. Uh, the first piece is permission so asking permission Uh, and I think uh, I did a podcast a little while ago and I wrote a piece on confident conversations a friend of mine she was really struggling with uh, her relationship when she was on her period especially just before a period when her hormones drop and uh, there was some conflict in the relationship and she didn't really know how to talk to her partner about it Uh, 
And so I did this episode on, okay, well, what does it actually look like to have like a conversation where I feel super confident in having it? Because I think that's can be super hard. Well, the first part is if we don't understand it, we can't talk about it. Yeah. So mm. as a female, if I don't understand my cycle, I can't talk to it about you, to you. And then as a male, if you don't understand what's actually going on with the cycle, you really can't talk to me about it. Mm. So the first piece is asking permission. Can I speak to you about your cycle? Or, hey, I've been tracking my cycle here's kind of what I've learned. Would you mind if we had a conversation about it and my training? Mm. Um, then it's um, really just like listening. So there would be like deep understanding about what's going on, asking permission, and then just being open and listening to mm. actually like to so, each other. So sometimes it's... So this is coming from like the, the female herself as well, like to, to bring up this conversation of going, Hey, like, I want to, I want to talk about this. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to her training, I think it can be really powerful if she has a male coach uh, that, and she's noticing some things to actually ask him for permission to speak about it. Either, either way, I think when we talk to someone about something that, uh, you know, maybe a little hard, um, that we always ask them permission if we can actually talk about it with them. Uh, I find this super common, especially in the fitness and the health world, is that, you know, we, can, we have all this information, yeah, or we might know something or we might have done something and then we just want to tell other people, mm. yeah? Or you have back pain, do this, this, and this. Or you want to lose weight, do this, this, and this. Or you want to have healthy hormones, do this, this, and this. But often people aren't really ready to hear that. Mm. And so, you know, as say a male coach, they come to the workshop, they learn some cool stuff around periods and training, to go back to their female clients and say, hey, I went to a workshop on the weekend. It was about the cycle and training and I learned some cool things. Would you like to talk about it or would you like to know more? Or mm -hmm. would you mind if I share some more about it? Uh, yeah, so that's like really the permission piece, which builds trust and attention. Because yeah. uh, if you don't have trust and attention, you really can't have confident conversations. Yeah, so I so guess to shortly answer your question is like learn about the menstrual cycle, like as mm -hmm. a male to know that, you know, hormones are different throughout the cycle. So that impacts how we feel and it impacts our training. And then if our umbrella is a little broken or a little off, it's going to impact the cycle even more. Uh, and so uh, having that understanding and that awareness is really important. Yeah, I love that. It's like arming yourself with the with the language and at least some sort of understanding to to help you enter into this space with the with the other person. Um, but um, when I guess when you when when coaches have this convers conversation, what are the sort of normal shifts that um, that are good to keep in mind for 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 a woman say 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 maybe they're having one of these problems with uh you know the cycle is it like just shifting training load or not training at all or some other sort of changes what do you normally see yeah so uh the cycle has two phases so you have your follicular phase and then your luteal phase uh 
day like one is the first day of a bleed. So when you're menstruating, can go from one to seven days, depending on a female cycle. Uh, generally, the first couple of days there, we're a little low energy. Like it's taken a lot for our body to prepare, to shed the lining, to bleed. Uh, a lot of females can experience PMS symptoms, and so they might not feel that great. Towards the end of that first week, hormones are starting to increase. They're starting to feel a little better. And so this is the time when you can start to build. So when I work with females, the first week or five days, it's like a building phase. Yeah, like we're moving, we're starting to develop maybe some new concepts, uh, some new skills. And then the second week is when all the hormones start to really rise. Mm -hmm. And it's those that help us support more training, harder training, longer training, better recovery, better use of like fuel so we can use carbohydrates better to get more energy for our training. We recover better. We build muscle mass better. And so then we really have a peak right in the middle at around day 14. This is if you're at a 28-day cycle. Most females aren't, but say whenever you ovulate, all the hormones are peaked. So PBs, lift heavy, high intensity, train hard, you'll feel good. And then the third and fourth week, the third week you start to have a decrease in hormones and this is when maybe there's a shift or maybe it's okay. Uh, it just depends on what's going on in the cycle and the hormones. Uh, and then there's a bit more mindfulness in the movement. The last five to seven days of a female cycle generally are when she'll notice the shift the most. All the hormones are dropped, uh, except progesterone. Uh, it peaks, you know, at around 20, 22 days. Uh, but estrogen, which give us energy, testosterone, all of that, they've dropped off. Uh, and then that's, that's when you'll know. So generally with females, they just need to be more mindful, like mm. five to seven days before their cycle yeah it sounds like just like almost really intelligent like auto regulation training which yeah. i guess almost everybody should be practicing right but kind of sometimes goes counter to like you know you get a program you set you set it you get really amped up you're like you know it's almost like an a plus b equals c equation it's like okay i'm going to do these six weeks in this you know mesocycle and then i'm going to be like there right and to get there, I have to do what the program says. Um, yeah. I guess that's almost yeah. like how sometimes, you know, like I approach it as, as a male, um, but, you know, thinking about it as well, you know, I, I also have to pull myself back at times because, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling there. And I know that if I really invest heavily in my energy some days with some, some of this, like that's all I'm doing, you know? if I've got to do work afterwards and I'm just sitting at a desk and <laughs> nothing's, nothing's happening. So you've got to be mindful of, yeah, sometimes this it goes back to this energy, you know, this, this energy in and out and how that balance can change um, just according to, to various things. Yeah. And, and the cycle is just one prong. And so when I do this work, it's really important to know is that, Okay, so that's how it goes. Yeah, when we look at the hormones, we look at the science of it. Mm -hmm. But what's really happening? Yeah, and the only way you're going to know that is if you track your cycle mm -hmm. and understand your cycle. Because I could be in, you know, 
the first part of my cycle, which if we look at what's actually happening with the hormones, may not support hard training. But if my umbrella is strong and my prongs are strong and I feel good, there's no reason why I couldn't train hard then. Yeah. Or I could be in the peak of my cycle when all my hormones are meant to be supporting me and to PB and train hard. But I could feel like shit. Yeah, my umbrella prongs, the other ones, might not be nourished. I might have not slept well. Maybe I didn't eat that well that day or drink enough water. And so, yeah, my hormones could be there, but what are my other prongs doing? And so it's coming back to this big picture because when we want to beat ourselves up, we're not enough, we didn't do well enough. If we can come back to our umbrella and know, okay, I understand why. My prongs weren't strong. so. So what do you recommend for practically for bringing this awareness, you know, like to, to keep an eye on these markers? Do you get um, people normally to like journal about it or mark it down somewhere or an app tracker? Because yeah, sometimes what I feel as well is, you know, feelings can be deceptive. Sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, I'm here, I'm there. And then you start and you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not really here or I'm I'm actually really tired, but I didn't know that. (laughs) Or I didn't, I I, I like somehow stopped myself from knowing about it, you know? Yeah. I didn't actually listen. (laughs) Yeah. And that's an ongoing battle. Yeah. I'm, I still go through that where there's days where I just want to tell myself a different story. Um, but I know that my red umbrella is probably not going to, you know, support what I want to do. Uh, so for the cycle, uh, it's really helpful to just start using an app because often what happens is that if we don't understand our body, we're not really sure what to actually even track. Like, what does that even look like? So an app is kind of like the 101 of tracking. It just, Mm -hmm. they're super engaging, super easy to use. Uh, And then you can add in and take away all the things that you want to focus on. So start with an app, Clue, Flow, Fitter. Fitter is actually created uh, for women who train. And you can actually put a lot of the training uh, information in. So start there. Or you can go old school. You could write the day of your cycle and any data points. Basically, at the start, when someone's learning to do this, we're looking for as many data points as possible, Mm -hmm. as much information as possible. Uh, and you're only going to get that after repeated cycles. So then you can start to see patterns. Cause like you said, feelings can be deceptive. Mm. A day can be deceptive, even a week. Yeah. So at least three months commit to it to see what's actually going on. Um, that's where I would start with the cycle tracking. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. That reminds me of how like, when I first started like a training journal, you know, for the first time, then I'm writing it down. I'm like, Oh, holy shit. Like I've been writing about this same thing for ages. Like why am I fixing it or making me realize these, (laughs) these points that I guess if you go day to day, it's so easy to forget, you know, you sleep and you wake up and you're like, Oh, that that wasn't so bad. But you're like, actually it's, it's always there. Yeah. I love that you say that because I remember in my training journal when I was competing, I wrote the word rib, rib, (laughs) rib, rib, like nearly every day in my training journal. (laughs) 
rib, rib, rib for probably uh, three months before like I actually did my rib. <laughs> and I looked back in my training journal and I just saw it like it was the data point that just came up every time, but I ignored it because sometimes we just don't want to see what comes up. Yeah. And that's why it's important to have someone that, you know, can hold you accountable, that can support you, that you know, you can bring all this other stuff when, you know, you've written rib for three months and you don't listen to it. Yeah. That's um, the value of a coach, right? You can really, yeah. Yeah. Pay, pay big, big dividends. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess what, what sort of training are you um, into now at the moment? And you know, what, what is the type of training that you're, you're coaching um, the women that, that are coming to you? Yeah. So my own personal training uh, for the last few years has just been uh, a lot of exploring, a lot of playing. Uh, mostly I went back to body weight strength training or gymnastic strength training, a lot of stuff with the rings, with handstands, uh, hand balancing, uh, and then just, you know, traditional uh, strength training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually um, strained, uh, a tendon or a ligament in my back three months ago. And I did a really good job of it. So I actually haven't trained in three months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just gone back to a movement practice, but it was a really beautiful learning again. I've gotten a lot better at dealing with injuries. (laughs) Uh, the first couple of weeks were a little hard. Like I, you know, just spent time just seeing what came up for me, like old stories, old you know resistance around you know having a body that felt broken or weak um so for the past three months it's been a really great experience for me to go through this injury again and to feel okay about it to be really patient to be very aware um and just to take it slow so i'm just doing like light movement practices Mm -hmm. right now the work that i do with women uh when they come to see me we stop all high intensity exercise. Uh, I have them walk. I call it 15,000 steps to connection. I'm not so much worried about the number, uh, mm-hmm. but I am, I want them to get out and walk. I think it's such a powerful tool to connect to our body, to our mm. breath. Uh, so they have a personal project to walk uh, and they do body weight strength training. I'm a big believer that body weight strength training is like the tool to help you learn about your body. Awesome. It just, it teaches you so much. And so the work that I do with them is only around body weight strength training and gymnastic strength training. Like both those tools seem like super, super fascinating. Like one, the, the walking as an awareness piece and, um, yeah, I agree with you there with the body weight strength training, but maybe you want to expand on it a little bit. Like my experience as well is delving deeper into this. Um, I don't know. It's a different approach to the barbell um, strength training in some way where it is getting me like forcing this understanding of awareness in, in, in my body that I haven't encountered with other sort of modalities. Yeah, because you, you can't hide behind anything, really. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just feel it's kind of like, you know, you think of a pyramid and you're building a foundation. 
Uh, and Ido talks about it a lot in his isolation, um, integration, improvisation. And it's kind of really cool if you look at that because to isolate, yes, we need to develop the bottom of this pyramid. And so many women don't have that. Yeah, they're mm. like way up at the top or they haven't even developed a foundation because they've been doing you know, cardio or high intensity exercise for years or decades, yeah, running or doing spin or, you know, high intensity circuits. And they don't give you any space or allow any time to develop any sort of connection, really, a Mm. deep connection. And so if you like bring it back and slow it down and ask the body to do these things, you know, in isolation and to, you know, to do it just with your body, there is so much power there in the awareness that you develop um, and the connection that you develop with your own body. So that's where we start. And now I love, um, I love strength training. Yeah. And I love the barbell and the gymnastics rings and they're amazing tools. uh, But I think you kind of have to earn it. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be able to control and understand your body. And then when you start to do that, then you can earn the right to, you know, add all these other cool tools in to do these cool skills. Because if you don't do not do the foundation, it's not sustainable. So like what came up was like, okay, so I haven't trained for three months, right? And I, one of the women that I work with was like, well, did you gain any weight? Or are you so much weaker? (laughs) And like I haven't because my metabolism is balanced. My hormones are balanced. Mm. Um, And I did a bit of a strength session yesterday, just basic volume stuff. But it's there Mm. because I spent years and years developing the foundation, doing the isolation stuff and then integrating into it. and so I think what's really important is that if you really want to get results in your training, you have to go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most women don't want to do that because they don't think it's sexy. I think, I think most people don't want to do that. I mean, myself <laughs> in, included. Yeah. When, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's like those moments. Uh, I mean, I know like say like working on the handstand when it's just like, Ah, I got to go back to the wall now. I got to go. Ah, but I don't want to go back to the wall. But then you do it, and then, like, it makes so much of a difference, you know, to, to that that development. Um, and I guess, yeah, sometimes, like, yeah, your ego takes a hit or whatever. But yeah, it um, the it ego really comes back. It. Yeah. <laughs> but it comes back to where you started this conversation around, like this you know, doing the hard work, Mm. doing the hard part and no one really, you know, myself included, I never really wanted to do the hard part or do the hard work until I went through so many injuries and understood that, you know what, you have to, you have to do the hard work. You have to choose the hard part. Mm. Uh, And yeah, it can seem a little unsexy, but you know what? It's actually not. Yeah. Mm. Because when you, you know, develop this toolkit and these skills and you feel capable and strong in your body, that changes like, you know, your posture and how you show up and that's sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Just being on a spin bike or, you know, like smashing yourself high intensity circuit training and not really really learning anything or getting anywhere that's not sexy it's not their fault and that's really important to to say mm-hmm. it's societies and our conditioning but really in the end it's like not the sexy way 
Yeah, this is amazing. Um, I guess with what you're working on now and into the future, where do you see it, it, it all heading? You mentioned, you know, you're working on a few things such as like this embodied warrior woman program I've seen on your website as well. You know, you do regular sort of body weight strength classes. Um, is this what you're focusing on um, in, in currently? And is, is there anything more that you would like to, to develop, you know, ongoing, say in the next five years or so? Yeah, another good question. Uh, yeah, so I do women's body weight strength classes a few times a week out of my studio space here in my apartment in North Vancouver. Uh, and it's just really a space for women to come. It's small groups to learn, to start, to really use their body as a tool. Uh, so that's one of the things that I do. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, I've created a program which is called the Embodied Warrior Woman Uh like, I believe we're all warrior women, but we're not embodied. We're not connected. And it's this connection piece and this embodied piece that really allows us to show up more powerfully in our lives uh, and have a more powerful relationship with ourselves and with others. And so the program, it's six months. And the women that I work with in the program, uh, the first part is all around the cycle. So understanding the menstrual cycle, uh, look at what's going on with their hormones and really implementing a plan to rebalance their hormones and their metabolism uh, and teach them about their cycle. The second part is training. Uh, so how do you train? Uh, no one really understands how. Yeah, they kind of know the what, uh, but... Like, how do you actually do it? Uh, so I teach them how to actually train. So like, what does it look like? Like programs, progressions, exercises, um, but also in the whole context of this red umbrella. Yeah. The things mm. that impact the training that help you get more out of the training. So I take them, they do like their own individualized program that they're on uh, through the, through the program. And then the third piece is like the embodiment piece. And this is kind of like unlocking this dark thread that we can't really connect into because we're missing this embodiment. Mm. And it's like reigniting like our sexuality, our femininity, kind of like this passion and eroticism that uh, we really can't tap into because we're not connected to our body. So the first two parts are really about connecting to the body uh, and building trust with it. And then the third piece is like, okay, you know, how can I like use it to, you know, to connect to myself or to my, to my partner more. Mm. Um, those are the two things that I am. Oh, and my, my workshops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the workshop that I run for women who train and coaches who train women, that's called the training, the female warrior. And I was, I am maybe, I'm not sure coming to Australia in May. Hopefully. Like we're talking about. Yeah. At the start. Uh, hopefully depending on um, how we navigate through what we're going, what's going on in the world at the moment. But yeah, my tour is uh, meant to be happening at the start of May, but we will see. Yeah. Well, it sounds awesome. And, you know, hopefully you'll be over, over here because yeah, <laughs> I definitely want to um, go and attend one of these, uh, these events and then learn, learn a bit more. And so, yeah, what you're doing, because I think it's, you know, really important. I think, yeah, you know, 
talking about things that that need to be talked about and bringing awareness to to things that yeah really affect a, a lot of people so um you know i get a lot of inspiration and i know every time you post like an, an update with this sort of stuff i'm like oh this is gold you know i need to <laughs> uh, uh, i need to be aware of this so um yeah i guess thank you maybe that's so nice do you want to also just wrap up a little bit by just um, pointing where, where can, where can people find your details? Um, you know, where do you put out your stuff? Yeah. Um, my Instagram, which is probably where I show up a lot, uh, is Amy Kate Bow, uh, B O W E. Uh, that's where I post pretty much daily all about like, training cycles food um and then i do have a website uh which is amykatebow.com and you can jump on there and read a little bit more about me and about the program that i run uh those are probably the two platforms that i show up a lot on and i do also recommend you know you've got your own podcast as well oh yeah my podcast don't know how I forgot that because I love talking. <laughs> <laughs> that would probably be my five-year goal is to do more speaking events because mm-hmm. I love talking. Um, yep. Yeah, so I have a podcast. It's called the Off Kilter Podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm on there talking about all things, cycles, training, um, and food. Yeah, everything that I do in my work. Awesome. Well, We'll probably just wrap it up there unless, yeah, is there any other yeah. mes- mes- messages that you'd like to share? No, just know your cycle and then you can know your body. Uh, and I've probably spoken way too much <laughs> on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure having you. And um, yeah, yeah th- thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on to have uh, this conversation. I really enjoyed it. And that is Amy Kate Bow. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. Really enjoyed it. And thanks, guys, for listening in. You can always subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, The Passive Hang. And you can find me on Instagram. That's at P. That's at P-H-A-O-N-P. If you want to connect, just send me a message. Thanks, guys.